Well, it is great to be with you this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know who I am, I'm AJ. I'm the adult ministries pastor here at Appleton Alliance Church. Uh, my family and I have been here uh, a little over four years. Uh, we moved here from Estes Park, Colorado, and uh, are glad to be back home. I grew up in Green Bay. Uh, my wife grew up in the Milwaukee area, so it's, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, this morning, we get to jump into the first of four Connect series. This morning, it's Connect With Your Bible. If you've been around Appleton Alliance uh, for any length of time, we do this every fall, kind of kick-starting, realigning where we're going in our ministry season. Uh, you'll see Pastor Dennis preaching on connecting with God. Uh, Pastor Brian, I think, is going to touch on connecting with your church and your world. But this morning... We get to spend some time connecting with God's Word, God's Word. Like I said, I grew up in Green Bay. When I was 19, I um, decided I'd, I'd move to Milwaukee, go to school for business management, the university there, and, and that's what I did. I grew up in a, a Christian home, a great environment where, where God was known, the Bible was, was opened, um, and, and scriptures were read, uh, and so I had, I had accepted Christ at a young age, but when I was 19... Going to business school, I felt stuck. Uh, not, just, not just stuck in life, but stuck with the reality of, I, I know these things about God, I believe them, I've heard them, but when I read this book, the Bible, it's not living, it's not active in my life for some reason. And so I struggled with that, I, I thought about it, I prayed about it, and I realized really the problem was with me. It, it wasn't with God's word, it wasn't with what I was taught, it was me and my, my unwillingness to accept this in, in authority in my life. But more than that, I was kind of bored with it. I was bored with it. And so I didn't view it as active. I didn't view it as alive. I didn't view it as changing. I knew the Spirit should be illuminating things to me in Scripture, but yet my life wasn't matching up with what I believed. Therefore, this book was just that. It was pages. It was a binding. It was text. And this morning, we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament, a familiar story about God's people being in slavery, being delivered, and then heading somewhere, because God said. And we're going to see, after Christ's death and resurrection, we're going to see him standing before his disciples, who still doubted, still doubted some of them, saying, hey, because of my resurrection, because of the authority I now have, you go. Both require faith, but both require a proper understanding of God's word. So we're going to look at that this morning. Do you believe the word is living? Do you believe it is active? Do you trust it? It brings us to Exodus. Just a little context, a little backstory. Um, God's people, they've been in slavery and bondage to Egypt for 420 years. It's a long time. All right, this guy named Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household, realizes he's not of Egyptian descent. He's actually a Hebrew, he's an, he's an Israelite. And he sees one of the evil taskmasters, Egyptian taskmasters, beating a slave, and there's this sense of injustice that stirs in him, and what does he do? He, go, he beats on the, the taskmaster, he kills him. Doesn't bury him well, and so he flees. For 40 years, Moses, and you'll find out Moses does a lot of wandering. Moses wanders into the wilderness, becomes a shepherd, 
uh, God gets his attention via a burning bush, okay, and this bush is speaking to Moses saying, you are going to go back and deliver my people. Moses complains, whines a little bit, and God says, you're going. You're just, you're going to go. So he goes. And then there's plague after plague after plague. God trying to, to get the attention of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Hey, let my people go. Moses is pleading, let my people go. Or this is going to continue, continue, continue. All the way up to what we now call the Passover. The Passover. So God goes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to tell our people that tonight I am passing over you. So what you're going to do, you're going you're gonna to take a lamb, you're going to slaughter a lamb, you're going to take that blood, you're going to put it on the doorposts and the lintels of your home, and when I pass over this land, I will spare your firstborn males. If I pass over, if I pass over and there are you know, no signs of blood on those doorposts and lentils, your firstborn will not be spared. So through the act of God and in really hardening Pharaoh's heart, um, they wake up the next morning devastated. The land has been ravaged. The firstborns have been taken. Pharaoh says, it's enough. It's time. Get out of here. And so here we, we find ourselves in chapter 13. This is before they even cross the sea, before even God has fully delivered them yet. This is what Moses has to say to his people. All right, chapter 13, verse 3. Moses said to the people, remember this day. Here's millions of people. They got everything they have. I mean, as much as they can carry on their back. And he's saying to them, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib, you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey that you shall observe this right in this month in a place that God had had for them. So I was 19, like I said, and I decided to leave a university. I decided to kind of investigate more. What, I, what do I believe about God and his word? So I took a year off of my life, and I went to this little Bible school in Estes Park, Colorado, called Ravencrest Chalet. And all I did for a year was, was study and read and look, do I really believe this? Is this really, is God's word really life-changing? Is it active? I want to figure this out. I want to figure this out. And it became that for me. It became that for me, and it started to transform how I made decisions, how I lived when I opened up God's word. It wasn't boring anymore. It was active. It was real. So here we find Israel. God has done amazing things already in their lives. Even after the plague, God has led them to the banks of the Red Sea via a fiery cloud during the night and a, and a pillar during the day so they know where to go. They follow God. They've been faithful up to this point. They cross the Red Sea and then they find themselves for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Like us, did the Israelites fail to trust the word of the Lord? God had already told them, there is a place for you. I have it for you. But instead, they wandered. So this morning, we're going to look at what they thought, what they said, and what they did. What they thought, what they said, and what they did 
that basically halted or stalled what God had for them because they couldn't trust who he was. So we jump to Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. Keep in mind they've been in the wilderness for a while now. They've been in the wilderness for a while. And yes, it can be frustrating. You're in a new place and it's, it's hot. There's not a lot to eat. There's no water really. People are cranky. But here's what they're thinking. Keep in mind, God has delivered them out of Egypt. Verse 4, Numbers 11. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Manna, 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 manna for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Manna, manna, we're tired of manna. We just want to go back. We miss garlic, lemons, warm fish, onions. Don't you remember, Israel, that you were enslaved for 420 years? What is it for you? What are you dreaming of? You see, oftentimes when we dream of our past, a past which was in bondage, in slavery, when we dwell on that and live on it, there is no way when you read this, when you come to God's word, that you will be able to take it in for what it is. Because all you can think about is, wow, I miss my old life. If, if, I, could just go, if I could just go back there, it would be great. And that's what God's people are saying here. Even though God, every morning when they wake up, there's a miracle of manna, sustenance for them. Every morning. He was faithful in their wanderings. What are you dreaming of? What occupies your attention? What gets you excited? How does our thinking and dreaming impact how we view God's word today? Uh, like I said, um, we lived in Estes Park, Colorado. Have you guys been to Estes Park? Rocky Mountain National Park? Awesome. Um, I spent 10 years there. This was my office for 10 years. Some of you are like, why are you here? Um, if I do disappear, you'll know where I'll be, okay? Um, and I was a fly fishing guide there for a long time. We, we did a lot of horseback trips and, and rock climbing trips, backpacking trips, all that cool stuff. And so we'd get clients from all over the world that would come in, and then they want to escape. They want to get away for two, three, four days into the backcountry. They don't want to be around people. And so we're, we're taking these people back. And I noticed with a lot of our groups that a lot of the people in day two or three, all they could talk about was all of the trips they used to do. Oh, we've been to Yosemite. Oh, we're, we're going to Alaska this year. We, we're going to Argentina to do some trout fishing. I mean, and I'm sitting there as a guide thinking, can you look, just look around you? Can't you enjoy this now? All you're doing is talking about the past. All the conversations we're having is all about other places you've been, and yet you can't sit in the present and enjoy who God is now. We do that at times, don't we? We do that at times. And so what did they have to say? What did God's people say in the wandering? Numbers, just a few chapters over, verse 
3 in chapter 16. This is what they said. Now, they're getting pretty cranky, so they assembled together. They get the team together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough. You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst, so why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Moses, we're tired, we're sick and tired of hearing about God's goodness. We're okay, don't you get it? Don't you get that God is here? In in the wilderness, God's present, we're fine, we're holy enough. We have it together, Moses. We're, We're so sick and tired of you telling us about this promised land. We're tired of it. I'm sick and tired of hearing about God's goodness, God's promises, and what he has for me. You see, when I was young, that was the case. I was tired, I was bored of reading this book because of my heart, because I was the problem. I was the, itch, I was the issue with the patterns in my life and the choices I was making. It's the same with Israel. They're just done with it. They're just bored with it. Moses, leave us alone. I know, I know God has the best for us, but leave us alone. So what do you think about? Are you content with God just showing up once in a while, or do you want to know him well? He's given us his word to do so. We've got two little kids, Jake and Ainsley. Jake is four, Ainsley is uh, seven, okay? And they love crafts, all right? If you've got little kids, you'll really find this intriguing. Um, one of the things I despise in my home is glitter. It's an Easter grass, but I won't go there. But glitter, oh, it's just this vile substance. And, and so when you come home and you see your kids making a craft on the kitchen table, and they've got Elmer's glue everywhere, and there's pieces of paper all over, and there's glitter everywhere, uh, what do you do? You get the dustpan, you get the vacuum, you get whatever you can to clean up the glitter. And do it now. <laughs> so as a good dad, I'm helping my wife, and I'm, I'm, I'm got the dustpan out, and I'm sweeping all the glitter in. I throw it all in the trash. I feel pretty good about myself. I cleaned up the glitter, didn't I? What happens a week later? Six months later, what are you finding all over the house? Glitter. I've got glitter in my hunting boots. I've got glitter in my bed, in my truck. I loathe glitter. I think glitter is kind of like God's word. I can sweep up as much as I can, and I can think I have it all in a dustpan on the first round. I've read this before. I'm okay with it. I know what it's trying to say. But you know what happens? You just keep finding more and more glitter around the house. For months and months, it's the same with God's word. I've read this story a hundred times. I've read the, the New Testament over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I've read the Gospels. But now... As my heart has changed when I read it and I'm submissive to it, guess what happens as I read it over and over again through the years? Guess what I'm finding? Glitter. Lots and lots of glitter. In the the craziest of places, God is revealing himself through his word to us as the Holy Spirit illuminates this word to us. What are you dreaming about? Do you want more from God? Are you thirsty for his word or are you just okay? Is there more for you in his word that he wants to do in you, change in you, transform in you? 
So it leads us up to what did they do? What was the result of the dreaming of Egypt? What was the result of saying, we're fine, Moses, don't worry about it? We see then in Exodus 32, popular passage, uh, God calls Moses up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. All right, to get the Ten Commandments. And so we jump in, Exodus 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed, Moses was gone for 40 days. It's a long time. When he delayed, he came down from the mountain. The people assembled about Aaron and said to him, poor Aaron, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, well, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out from the land of Egypt. Aaron's a knucklehead. Really? This golden calf that we just assembled out of your earrings is the God that delivered you out of Egypt? And apparently is going to be the God that actually gets you into where God wants you to go, the promised land. So this is what they did. They worshipped idols. The dreaming of the past, the living in the past, the complaining about the present, the content living that they had. We don't want to hear more about who God is. We don't want to learn more about who God is. We're fine, Moses. Idol worship replaced remembering the God who saved them. Idol worship was a result of not trusting his word. You see, it's not whether, but which. All of us will worship something. Some God, who is it going to be? It's never whether, but which. So now we find ourselves in the New Testament. Oftentimes here you, you hear us talk about the word. Well, what is the word? Where did it come from? What is it grounded in? And is it important for us today? What does the Bible have to say? It was already read this morning. We're going to turn to John. John chapter 1. Scripture speaking about the word. This is what it says. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word. The beginning being what? The beginning being creation. Before anything was created, there was the word. And, it says, the Word was with God. So the Word was in relationship with God. What was happening before creation? God the Father, God the Son, God, God the Holy Spirit were doing what? Twiddling their thumbs? No. They were in relationship with each other, in community with each other. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and that Word, the Word, was God. Identifying the Word as divine as God himself. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Here's the kicker for us today. When you jump down to verse 14, and the word became flesh. That word, that word is now in the flesh. In whom is that word representing? That word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself is the word. That word became flesh, went to the cross, 
died, was buried, and then rose again. So here's where the story continues. You see, eventually, God's people, Israel, got into Canaan through a mighty man, a faithful man named Joshua, who let God go forth, his presence first, then the people marched after. God moves, then we move. Here Christ has risen, all right, he's risen, he's asked his disciples now to go and meet him on the mountain. Go and meet him on the mountain. And we look in Matthew, a passage that is very familiar, a passage that is preached on a lot, and a passage that we are passionate about here at Appleton Alliance Church. It's the great commissional statement by Jesus Christ. Here is what he says. Here is what he says, verse 18, Matthew 28. And Jesus came up, up to his disciples, and spoke to them, saying, All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's the first thing he tells them. This is after, and some of his disciples, they don't really believe yet. They still doubt. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, English theologian N.T. Wright says this about the Great Commission statement. The claim is that he is working to take the world from where it was under the rule not only of death, but of corruption, greed, and every kind of wickedness, and to bring it by slow means and by quick under the rule of his life-giving love. And how is he doing this, he says. Here's the shock. He's doing it through you. He's doing it through me. He's doing it through his church, his people, through us. If Christ did not rise from the dead, this would just be paper ink, pages, and a binding. Be a good book, historical document. But since the word has existed before creation, because the word spoke and there was light, the word created, the word went to that cross for you and died for your sins, and that word now is seated at the right hand of the Father, that's why Christ says, therefore, therefore, disciples, go. You are commissioned to go. And God told that of his people, I care about you, I love you, now go. I have a place for you, but you have to trust my word. My, my son Jake is an artist. He's four, like I had mentioned, uh, and he likes to draw snakes. There he is, he's in a Batman costume or something. And he's, he's drawing a snake for me, which he, which he gives me. If you're a dad or a parent and your kid draws something for you, are you pleased with that? Yes. You're always pleased with it. But if Jake, if Jake decides to draw me a snake when he's 14 and the snake looks like the same snake he drew when he was four, am I going to be satisfied with that? There's something wrong there. You see, God is easily pleased, but he's rarely satisfied. He's e he was easily pleased to take his people out of Egypt and send them what should have taken 11 days, took 40 years, to the promised land. He was not satisfied with their wanderings. When you pick up this book and you read it and you're like, ah, I've read this before. 
I'm bored with this. God wants more for you than that. He wants you to come to his word, submit to what it has to say, so that the Holy Spirit, Christian, can work in your life and bring about biblical fruit. It can be life-changing. It can be powerful. It can change marriages. It can fix families. It can restore anything that is broken because it is living, because it is vibrant, because it's God, Jesus Christ. He's alive, did you know? He's working now. How is he working? Through you, through me. We can't trust his word by dreaming of the past. Being content with where we are, worshiping idols, but by living according to his word, going out and making disciples under the banner of Christ's authority now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are alive. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. And when we open up your word, when we read what you have for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to inhale who you are. Who you are. We can learn about you. You've chosen to reveal yourself through your word to us, so let's take advantage of it. I pray that we would walk in step with your spirit and that we would abide in you this week. In your name, amen. Let's stand for the benediction, please. This is, this is the result of what we just talked about this morning in response to who God is in his word. The psalmist says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring my soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So what is our response? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Proclaim him well this week. Dig in to his word. You're dismissed. Thank you.